Thank you for listening to City Hill Dubai podcast. The Exodus is our brand new series about God's salvation coming through in a time when people are scared and vulnerable. In the series, we also look at questions about finding our identity, our purpose in life, and how to find hope in unprecedented times. Join us in this epic journey where we will discover redemption, identity, and hope. A video format of this series is also available on our YouTube channel, City Hill Dubai. For more information, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. In Exodus chapter 2, the people of God, the Israelites, are in a whole world of suffering and pain. Imagine the most brutal form of slavery. Imagine the worst kind of abuse and now genocide, the total dehumanization and oppression of a people group by a strong, evil ruler, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the destroyer, is using relentless, hard, back-breaking labor, and now genocide in order to oppress the people of God. He's issued a decree that every single Hebrew male baby be thrown into the Nile, either to be eaten by crocodiles or to drown a decree that ultimately spells a death sentence for God's people. And what seems to make matters worse is God is very quiet throughout the first couple of chapters of Exodus. He doesn't seem to be doing anything. He doesn't seem to be saying an awful lot. If you were in Egypt at this time, if you were an Israelite, you would naturally be asking the question, where is God? And in light of all that we are suffering and all that we are going through, can God really be trustworthy? The reality is the world is still full of pharaohs. The world is still full of suffering even today. The strong still oppress the weak. People find themselves the real victims of illegal and sometimes legal forms of slavery. Just as people find themselves the victims of physical slavery, the Bible says that the whole human race, because of our sin and because of the fall of creation, has found themselves in spiritual slavery, slavery to sin. One of the big problems that people often have with Christianity and with the God of the Bible is the obvious presence of evil and suffering in the world, of injustice, of oppression, coupled with the apparent inaction of God. Some would argue that if God exists and yet allows suffering to take place as it does, he's either not powerful enough to do anything about it, or he's powerful but he doesn't care, he's not good enough, he's not trustworthy enough to do anything about it. How can you trust a God who sees suffering but doesn't take action? And this isn't simply an intellectual or a, or a philosophical debate, it's a very personal and often a very emotional question that people ask about the existence of God. You may have a faith in God, but maybe recent events have actually shaken your belief in God, have actually caused you to ask the question, can I still trust God in light of everything that has happened in my life over the last couple of months? But as readers of Israel's story with history behind us, we know that God hadn't in fact abandoned them. We know because throughout this chapter, chapter two of Exodus, we see God raising up a redeemer. We see God raising up somebody that would ultimately go on to save Israel and free them from their oppression and their slavery. A baby is born, 
Moses and his life, his early years are filled with incredible drama. It's a great story. If you haven't read it, if you haven't meditated on Exodus 2 yet, please take some time later today just to spend time looking to see what God has to say to you through this incredible chapter. Not only do we see that God is at work in Israel, raising up a redeemer, we also see what his motives are for acting in order to save Israel. In verses 23 to 25, we read this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. There are four wonderful verbs in this passage which tell us why God acted to redeem and save Israel. It says God heard, God remembered, God saw and God knew. God heard their prayers. He may have seemed distant and absent, but he wasn't. He heard their cry for help. We don't know why God waited so long. But just because we don't see what the reasons are, it doesn't mean that there were not reasons for God delaying. In our limited wisdom, we don't often see and understand what God in his infinite wisdom sees and understands. We're very used to these days knowing that there are things that exist and have an effect on us that we just don't see. Viruses are a great example of that. Just because we don't see God's reasons for delaying, it doesn't mean that there are not good reasons that exist. But we do know that God heard Israel. It says that God remembered his covenant. God had promised Abraham that he would make Israel a great nation. And God remembered, and that wasn't simply recalling some information. When it says God remembered, it means that he brought something to the forefront of his mind and he deemed to act, he deemed to respond, he committed himself to doing something about the situation. God remembered his promise, he remembered his covenant. God saw and God knew. This is more than simple awareness of a situation. If any one of us was to turn on the news today, we would be made aware of situations. Sometimes very bad situations of oppression and injustice, but it doesn't mean that we are intimately acquainted or that we particularly understand those situations. This word, God knew, conveys a deep, personal, intimate knowledge and pity for the people of God, for the people that he saw in slavery. To be known by God is to be in a very good place. To be known by God is to be in the very best place. It means that now these people no longer have to bear their burden themselves. God is about to bear the burden for them. He's about to raise up a savior to free them. But here's the thing. You may be thinking, well, that's all very well and good for Israel. They were suffering and God knew and remembered and he was going to send a savior to free them. But what about me today? What about us here and now? People are suffering. People are going through difficult situations. Where is God? See, Israel's condition, Israel's slavery, isn't just an interesting story. It's actually a picture of mankind's condition. And Israel's savior, Moses, is not there as a good example to us to follow. Moses is there in order to point us, to direct us, 
to teach us about another saviour, an even better redeemer, Jesus Christ. You see, just as God saw Israel's situation, just as he heard them, and it says he knew he was intimately acquainted with the situation, God looked at mankind's situation, our fallenness, our slavery to sin, the destruction in which we live. He saw and he knew, and he sent a savior. God looks at your situation, God looks at the world, he sent a savior, Jesus Christ. And today, God knows, God knows because of that savior. The God of the Bible is intimately acquainted with our suffering. We may ask the question, where is God in the midst of pain and suffering? The answer is, the God of the Bible is the only God who came down, experienced pain and suffering, and put himself on the hook for all of mankind's fallenness, all of their pain, all of their sin, and all of their suffering. The God of the Bible knows right now he is intimately acquainted with our situation because he came in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God knowing, God identifying with, and God taking on our burdens upon himself. Jesus is the ultimate expression and demonstration of God's love, of God's intervening into our suffering, and ultimately God's trustworthiness and presence, even when suffering and evil and oppression abound. When God saw the situation that mankind were in, he himself became man, the person Jesus Christ, and came to dwell among us. He was still fully God, but he was also completely and fully man. That means he identified with and experienced everything that we as human beings experience, even in our pain and even in our suffering. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that he was frail, like us, like Moses, in fact, Jesus knew the frailty and weakness of having a human body and everything that goes along with being human. He knew hunger. He knew physical weakness. He knew emotional weakness. He knew physical pain. He knew emotional pain. He was beaten. He felt pain. As a man, Jesus endured hostility. He endured the hostility of evil people. He endured the hostility of sinners who knew no better. Like Moses, Jesus was even hunted by an evil ruler intent on his death when he was born. Jesus was an outcast. He was a refugee. Like Moses, he spent time in Egypt on the run from Herod, who was trying to kill him at the time. Jesus knew what it was like to be outcast, forgotten, and abandoned. The Bible tells us that he was rejected by his own people. He was despised by people. The Bible describes him as a man of sorrows. He was spat upon. He was even betrayed by one of his closest followers the night before his death. He knew the pain, the deep emotional pain of betrayal. When Jesus hung on the cross, he became sin for us, the Bible says. And therefore, Father God could not even look upon him. And the Father turned his face away. Jesus felt the incredible, deep, emotional, extreme pain of being separated from God, a relationship that he had known intimately and enjoyed intimately for all eternity past. He did that so that we would not have to suffer the pain of being separated from God eternally. But what does all this mean? 
This means whatever you are facing right now, God knows. The God of the Bible is not distant. The God of the Bible is not uninterested. In fact, the God of the Bible, because he came as a man, because he came as Jesus, is intimately acquainted with, he intimately knows, and he's experienced all the suffering that you may be experiencing right now, all the suffering that we see out there on the news and in the world around us. He is intimately acquainted with and he understands deeply. Not only does he understand, not only does God know, but God committed to bearing our burdens. And that's why he came as Jesus Christ. Now, if nothing else, this enables us to face difficulties. This enables us to face pain and suffering with the comfort that God knows and God understands, that God is not distant, that God in fact came to bear those burdens for us. When we come to God in prayer, he hears and he gets it. Right now, if you are struggling, if you are suffering, you can come to God and you can pour out your heart to him. You can tell him everything and he will intimately know and understand exactly what you are facing, and he will bear that burden with you. In times of great suffering, we can be confident that we have a God that loves us. Jesus and his death on the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love and God's trustworthiness, even in times of difficulty. But that's not all that this passage has to tell us about Jesus and about our Redeemer. Jesus didn't just come so that he could identify with our suffering. He became our ark. Pharaoh in this story has decreed that every Hebrew baby boy be thrown into the Nile to drown or be eaten by crocodiles. It's nothing short of genocide. Pharaoh is out to destroy the people of God. And in the Bible, water often represents something ominous, something dangerous, something that seeks to destroy us. It represents chaos. And here, the Nile represents almost certain death. If you are a baby boy or you are the parents of a baby boy, the Nile is uncrossable. It represents almost certain death. We see here in this passage the incredible faith of one incredible woman, and that's Moses' mother. And faced with the terrible prospect of having to drown her baby boy, she puts the life of her son, probably a life that's more important to her than her own life, into the trustworthy hands of God. She trusts God even in light of all that is going on around her. And she places her baby boy, we're told, into a basket, a basket made of reeds. It probably had a lid. It probably had holes in it in order for him to breathe. And the word used there to describe this basket is teba. And it's actually the same word that's used to describe Noah's Ark in Genesis. And it's actually the only two times that this word is used to describe Noah's Ark and to describe this basket. The writer clearly wants us to remember that scene in Genesis when the waters, when the flood, the waters of chaos threatened to engulf and destroy mankind altogether. And God provided an ark. And all those who put their trust in God, that God inside the ark, were carried through the waters of death into life, into salvation. And in the same way, one mother puts her trust in God and she places her baby, Moses, into an ark, into the basket, in order for God to carry him through the waters of the Nile, through death 
and into life, into salvation. God is a God of salvation. And just as we live in the midst of chaos, just as we live in the midst of death, God has provided an ark. And all those who put their trust in Jesus, the ark provided by God, all those who put their lives into his hands, will ultimately one day be carried through the waters of death, out the other side, into new resurrection life. Jesus is the ark that God has provided for us. And right now in your life, you may feel like you're facing a deluge. It could be the results of this pandemic that we're all facing. It could be financial issues. It could be relational issues. Whatever it is, you may feel like you are being swamped, you are being overwhelmed, and that you are close to drowning. Whatever it is, not only does God know, not only is God intimately acquainted and aware with all that you are suffering right now, God has also provided an ark, Jesus Christ. If you put your trust in him, if you place your life into his hands today, he promises to carry you through. Lastly, Jesus, our redeemer, takes us from slavery into freedom. As baby Moses floats on the Nile in his tiny little ark, none other than Pharaoh's own daughter, one of the princesses of Egypt, finds that basket, opens it up, sees the baby, hears him crying, and takes great pity on him. And in an incredible twist of irony and probably God's sense of humor, Moses' own mother is then paid to raise Moses and to nurse him, probably until the age of around three, when Moses is weaned. And at that point in his life, he is then adopted into Pharaoh's own household, and he becomes the son of Pharaoh's own daughter. And she names him Moses. Moses means to draw out, as in, I drew him out of the water, I drew him out of the Nile. An incredibly fitting name for the one who ultimately would draw God's people out of slavery and into freedom. Moses, the Redeemer, points to Jesus, our great Redeemer. When Israel is at their weakest and Pharaoh seems to be at his strongest, God uses weak people to undermine the power and the authority and the strength of Pharaoh. Have you noticed how God in this scene uses the people considered weakest in society, in those days women, to undermine the strength of the all-powerful Pharaoh? Pharaoh's own daughter and her assistants, Moses' mother, Moses' own sister, foil the plan of Pharaoh to destroy the life of Moses. The very one that Pharaoh is out to destroy is now raised right under his nose. The very one that would ultimately defeat Pharaoh's plans and take the people of God from slavery into freedom is the one that is raised in Pharaoh's own household. Pharaoh is revealed in all his omnipotence and power to be powerless in the face of the almighty God and his plans for freedom and his plans for the redemption of his people. Right now, wherever you are, you may be feeling powerless in light of whatever Pharaoh it is that is enslaving you. You may feel right now at your very weakest and your Pharaoh may feel at its very strongest. It could be some kind of addiction. Addiction could be your Pharaoh right now. 
It could be alcohol, substance abuse. It could be gaming, gambling, spending, whatever it is. It threatens to destroy your life. It threatens to derail you. It holds you in slavery. It could be habits. It could be sinful behaviors that are wreaking havoc in your life, destroying your relationships and robbing you of your joy. You may feel weak and powerless to be able to break them. It could be mental illness. It could be depression that holds you in slavery. And it right now is robbing you of all of your joy. That could be your Pharaoh. Whatever it may be, right now you may feel at your weakest. You may feel helpless. You may feel powerless in light of your great, omnipotent, mighty Pharaoh that is holding you enslaved and controlling your life. But let me tell you this. God, through Jesus, our Redeemer, has worked to destroy the power of every single Pharaoh. God has rendered Pharaoh powerless through the work of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, on the cross. At Jesus' weakest moment, hanging on the cross, when Satan, the great Pharaoh, looked victorious, God won a great victory. He destroyed the power of Satan, the great Pharaoh, once and for all, when he took our sin and our rebellion upon himself and paid the price for it. Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, takes us from slavery into freedom. Now, you may feel enslaved today, but if Jesus is your Redeemer, your identity is now a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You have been brought into the household of God. And as a result, you are no longer under the power or under the oppression of Pharaoh. You have been freed. And it's the power of God in you through the Holy Spirit that allows you, that allows us this morning to walk in freedom. Just as God looked at Israel and knew and identified with and became personally acquainted with their suffering, God looked down upon us, saw our slavery to sin, he saw our suffering and he came as Jesus Christ. He bore our sin, our pain, our suffering on the cross so that we could be free. And he invites you today to embrace him as your redeemer. He invites you today to allow him to take you from death into life, life in all its fullness right now, and ultimately resurrection life where all sin, all misery, all sickness, all death, all suffering, all oppression will be done away with, and we will live in a new, beautiful, incredible creation with him. He invites you today to allow him to draw you out of the waters of chaos, out of the waters of darkness, and out of the waters of slavery into his beautiful freedom. And all you have to do is accept him as your savior. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, as your redeemer right now in your life, and you would like to invite him to be Lord of your life, to be your savior, to be your redeemer, to be the one that sets you free, I just want to invite you to close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I have fallen short. I have made other things in my life God, and I have followed hard after them, and I have not followed after you. I pray right now that you would forgive me of all my sin. I thank you for the work that you've done on the cross in order that I today might become a child of God, that I might know your redemption, that I might know your great salvation. 
We pray right now that you would become Lord of my life. We pray that you would come and by your Holy Spirit, fill me, transform me, and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, or you would like to pray a prayer like that and would like to speak to someone, we would love to help you with that. There's a link below in the bio, just click on that and one of us will get in touch with you and help you on your first steps in your journey of faith. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exodus series. To find out more about City Hill, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. We'd love to hear from you.